please turn me in your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 6. Working to the end of this section where the Apostle is addressing principles related to our conduct within our family and our roles within the family. We know that our service of Christ and having been redeemed in Christ, that every area of our lives is affected. God is not just to be part of uh, our church gatherings or just our private devotions. He is to be the center of all of our lives. We're to have a a Christ-centered worldview so that even our families, our jobs, how we relate to friends, all that we do in life should spring out of our relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. We have died to ourselves in that sense. <clears throat> so today we will finish <clears throat> the, uh, the, um, the principles that Paul gives concerning the role of family members. We have already talked about the roles of wives and of husbands. We talked about children and the way they are to, uh, to treat their parents. And now we'll talk about parents with respect to how they are to, uh, to raise their children. And so if you look at me at Ephesians chapter 6, verses 1 through 4, let's hear the word of the Lord. <clears throat> Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother. This is the first command with a, with a promise that it may go well with you and that you may live long in the land. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Let's pray. Father, we do look to you now, and as we continue to work through this text, and you give us these important instructions concerning the raising of our children, we do ask, Father, that you would help us to to understand these truths, to apply them And even those who do not have children, for whatever reason that might be, we do pray that you would help them to see the benefit of these texts, Lord, the principles that are even broader than just dealing with our own children. And so we ask, Father, that you would grant us your Holy Spirit, that you would grant us your grace. We pray for forgiveness for our sins and that you would direct our hearts to do your will and to see, Lord, that all that we do in life um, is to be shaped by our relationship with you through your Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. So please bless us and meet with us now. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. Moving on into chapter 6 of Ephesians, we see the Apostle then continues to address those gospel imperatives that deal with life in the home. Having already considered the roles of husbands, wives, and children in the gospel-centered home, We come now to to the final portion of life in the home where the Apostle addresses fathers as representatives of the parents in the home. And so while the text speaks specifically to fathers, uh, the mothers are also included here as well. But he speaks to the fathers first because they are the ones who are responsible for the leadership and the direction of the home. And so the, the, the wives would certainly be included under the authority of their husbands um, in thinking about these principles that are given here. Now before I give you the outline for this morning, I want you to note one key fact about biblical parenting that I will not address here this morning. It's not primarily seen in the text, but I do believe it is important. I do believe it is a, a clear biblical principle, and I think we see it very practical 
uh, in our society, how this, what I'm about to say, uh, affects the lives of children. Something very important a, about biblical parenting, one of the most important things we need to keep in mind as we rear our children. And let me say it this way, brethren. The most important thing that you can do to benefit the spiritual and physical welfare of your children first and foremost, is to strive after a thriving marriage with your spouse. Is to have a successful marriage. Fulfill your role cheerfully toward your spouse. Paul began addressing husbands and wives, didn't he? Fulfill those roles cheerfully toward one another, and that will serve to do the greatest good for your children. They will see, in a very practical sense, all the things you try to teach them theologically from scripture they will see that played out or not in the home first and foremost in other words the condition of your marriage will often serve to strengthen or weaken your children in their adult years it will affect them and we see that in our society remember what is parenting really all about what is this idea of parenting? So many people today, right, they, we have children because it's something that we can do very easily and naturally. Um, and we don't realize, or people in general don't realize, that parenting is ultimately training your children to leave. You're raising them up, and there's a lot of love and joy in that, of course. But you're raising them up to prepare them so that they can go and that they can lead their own homes one day and glorify God in their adult lives as well. One of the reasons we see such a mess in our culture with what's going on with our children and how the schools are being left to train our children and all the problems with Hollywood's children and gender issues and all these kinds of things that are going on is because parents don't recognize that they are responsible for training their children and not the other way around. You're training them to leave your care so they might cleave to their future spouse and build a family of their own one day. Now children, that may be hard to realize for you because you're young, but you're going to be getting older very quickly. And as you dread <clears throat> perhaps the obedience that you required, as you dread the, uh, the disciplinary actions of your parents, the restrictions, the rules, having to do schoolwork, some of which you say I'll never use and probably is correct. As you dread those things, remember your parents aren't just giving you those things to do or giving you those principles and those commands because they just want to boss you around, but they really are preparing you so that you can survive independently on your own when you get older. And so parents, while, you, while what you teach your children though in word is extremely important. My point here was to say what you teach them by way of example, especially in how you relate to your spouse, is absolutely critical. What do they see in your relationship to your husband wives and to your wives' husbands? That is going to be a significant teaching tool for them that must accompany all that you teach them in theory or theologically. Well, that said, let us consider then two main points for this morning. Two main points. First, we will consider the danger of provoking our children. We see that in verse 4, and we'll look at that in a moment. The danger and the natural propensity that we have as parents, because of the authority we're given over our children, is that we can provoke them to wrath or to anger. 
And then secondly, we will consider two key ways in which we're to positively, positively bring up our children. So we're to avoid negatively um, leading, uh, provoking them to wrath, and we're to instead, we are to focus on training them with a focus, a goal in mind. We should have a general goal in mind in training our children. We shouldn't just be doing parenting haphazardly, but there are goals, long-term goals, sowing seed goals in anticipation of the future um, that we ought to have in mind. And so first then, we have the danger of provoking our children. Look at verse 4. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger. And so fathers... We're first called to not provoke our children. There's the negative command. Avoid that. Before we're given any positive instruction on biblical parenting, we're first given this negative instruction. And notice again for a moment that the instruction is given to the father. Now this is not to say, as I said before, that mothers are not involved in parenting and that they're not responsible for how they conduct themselves in parenting, but rather fathers, as heads of the home, are the ones whom God holds primarily responsible for the upbringing of the children. The buck ultimately stops with them. They're responsible. Mothers are very much involved with the whole process and part of that, but the fathers are the ones who have the authority in the home. And so while mothers have a great responsibility in raising our children, brothers, it is ultimately the fathers who are to blame for the failures of faulty parenting. Who did God go to when Eli's sons acted so terribly and wickedly uh, as they conducted their priesthood in some of the most heinous ways? Did they go to the mother? They went to Eli. It was the father that God went to. And so this instruction is here given to the fathers first as heads of the home, but it is to be carried out by the mothers as well under the authority of their husbands. Mothers have a very significant and large responsibility in rearing the children. Don't, don't neglect to see that. But fathers, we are the ones who the command is given to. We are the ones who are responsible first for how we lead the home. You fathers... Do not provoke your children to anger. And so the unbiblical method of parenting and brethren, this is our natural propensity. If you don't see this in yourself as a father, you're missing something. You're not understanding your own heart. Our natural propensity is to provoke our children to wrath. To use our God-given authority in a way that's abusive. In a way that would, would raise them up to begin to develop bitterness in their hearts. So that as they get older and begin to be, become free of your authority, it then springs up that bitterness and defiles many. We've provoked them to wrath. That's our tendency. And so Paul says we are to not do that. Well, what then does this exactly entail? What does it mean to provoke your children to wrath or to anger? It does not mean, to borrow a quote from one <coughs> dear brother, it does not mean never to upset, never to annoy, oppose, anger, displease, or cross a child. In fact, that, the, the, the way that our culture is training our families today, that will provoke anger in our children, but it's just to let the children kind of do what they want to do, and parents need to ask their permission and just let them be adults as children. One ridiculous article from a, a, a woman who graduated from a, a fine college and who seemed to be very, um, at least knowledge-wise, or at least having all the information-wise, seemed to be very brilliant. 
said that even when you're changing the diaper of your child, you should ask for permission. That's, that's honest truth. Um, that's the kind, of, the kind of way that we should give uh, authority to our children, even as an infant, in some way, to ask for permission to change a diaper. So it doesn't mean that we don't oppose them or that we don't uh, have exercise authority over them or even at times um, we will anger or displease them but in a, in a God-honoring biblical sense. What it does mean is that we should not handle our children in such a way that they will be incited to a wrathful kind of living and become angry young men and women. We can do that. And there are many ways we can do that as parents. We, we can raise them in such a way that they, uh, they begin to have this bitterness inside of them because of the way that we raise them and we use our authority. There are ways in which we can provoke our children unto a wrathful disposition. And we must be consciously aware of this reality and avoid it. There are ways in which we can intentionally or even unintentionally grind our children and we can use our authority to hold them in the grinder. Because you're mom and dad. And children tend to want the respect of their parents, especially the father. They want that respect. And so when they don't have it, when they feel like they can do nothing right, when they're hushed because they're children and things like that, we can hold them in the grinder and it stirs up bitterness within them. It will foster a seed of anger and possibly blossom into all-out rage and rebellion in due time. There are several ways in which parents can provoke their children to anger. And I can remember <coughs> throughout the course of ministry seeing some children who were raised to dot all their I's and cross all their T's and you would see from the standpoint of, of an outsider, you would say, those children behave so well. Those are children that I, I, I wish I knew the secret that these parents had. But then as the children get older, you realize that on the inside, that their parents were abusive in certain senses, and I don't mean necessarily physically, but had done things in such a way that there was lacking gospel love. And so their children were, were being forced to do this and that and this and that. But on the inside, by the time they got older, they just completely went away from the faith and rebelled because they were harboring bitterness. Here are some ways in which we can provoke our children to anger, <coughs> brethren. And I believe it's because we're missing, we're missing the general plan. We have no plan of action involved in how we raise them. No general direction. It's just haphazard parenting that we want everything to be convenient for us as parents, easy for us as parents, and that's the main goal. And as we do that, we provoke them to wrath. Here are some ways. First, acting surprised and unfamiliar with their sin... As if no one else could ever sin in the way that they sin, or as if you are naturally any better than they are, is one way of provoking your children to wrath. Putting them in a category of unique sin. How could you ever do something like that? When I was your age, I could never do that. You've isolated them. You've put them in a category of ruined beyond repair, beyond gospel repair. Because nobody's ever acted like that before. Yes, we ought to show displeasure for their sin, but we ought never to act as if their sin is foreign to us. We want to relate to our children and convey to them repeatedly that there is a problem with the human heart. 
with all of us in general. And we're called as parents to correct that in our children by the grace of God. Even as God corrects us, we are called to correct that. We don't want to be surprised by their sin. And I know I've done that at times with my children and it's wrong. We should expect it and anticipate it, not praise it, not rejoice in it. It should grieve us. But we need to show our children that we expect that and anticipate that. And that's evidence of the fallen nature so that we can train them in love, in gospel love, to flee from that sin and to flee to Christ. Conveying to them the idea that they are somehow in a wicked class of their own because they have discomforted us and offended us as parents and made life difficult for us by their sin, which we should expect. Putting them into a hopeless state will provoke them to anger and wrath, especially especially when they know that they cannot meet the expectations of mom and dad. They just shut it down. They just know they can do nothing right. And they're provoked to wrath. Secondly, secondly, leaving them no gospel hope when they sin will serve to provoke them to wrath. One of the cruelest things we can do, parents, is to see the faults and the sins in our children and act again as if they are just the worst of the worst and never offer them gospel hope. Never offer them a cure. And to say, look, son, daughter, I can identify with you. I've been there. I still struggle in those kinds of ways. And that's what the gospel is all about. God wants to change that heart and put a new heart in there. And He wants to give you Christ. That's why He came. Some children don't know the gospel in a practical sense because their parents don't give them an opportunity to see their need for the gospel because all they do is give them just law. We must deal with them in love and not anger. (laughs) Seeking to expose to them the reality of what is in their heart, what we know is there, brethren, And pointing them to the answer in Christ. Why am I so surprised to see a cute little baby infant begin to grow and to do things that are in opposition to what I'm commanding them? Why am I surprised by that? When I've passed that nature on to them, which has been passed on to me from Adam. We must relate to them and speak Often with our children of what Christ has done in our lives. I like to say to my children sometimes, and I don't know how often I've done it, but I'll say it again publicly. I was a far worse child than any one of them. Any one of them or all of them combined. When I look at my childhood. Relating to them and speaking to them of what Christ has done in our lives will enable them to find a way to meet God's expectations in Christ as opposed to provoking them to hopeless anger because they're not meeting our expectations and making life easy and comfortable for us. How are they going to meet God's expectations if they can't even meet mom and dad's? Because we don't offer them any gospel hope. Thirdly, another way to provoke our children to wrath, and this is not exhaustive, but I'm giving you general examples. Always correcting their faults And speaking down to them and never complimenting their strengths and building them up will provoke them to wrath. It's so easy to find faults in anyone because they're there. We're all sinners. Our children are sinners. 
It won't take long to point out the negatives in each and every one of our children. But how much time do we spend pointing out the positive things, the good things, encouraging them in the good things they're doing? Constantly finding fault in them, trying to make them practically perfect little Mary Poppins children by finding every imperfection while failing to encourage them toward obedience and faith in Christ will break their spirit and provoke them to anger. Fourth, fourth, failing to discipline them, I fall short in this way, failing to discipline when they sin will provoke them to wrath. That sounds weird. You say failing to discipline them? Yeah, failing to discipline them and correct them will provoke them to wrath. Remember, the Proverbs teach us that when we spare the rod, we actually hate our children. Proper discipline actually serves to show that we love our children so much that we want to drive their sin away from them and lead them to Christ. We want to show them that that their sin, that their wrongs, their offenses, it brings pain. And we want to use that as an opportunity though to say as well, but there's hope in Christ. And that the cross is a pain we would never want our children to experience eternity in hell. We never want them to experience that and we'd rather give them a little pain here to get a sense of the evil of sin so that it will drive it from, drive them from that sin into Christ for forgiveness and grace and life. They need disciplinary correction. They're looking for that direction even in their stubbornness. <laughs> fifthly, <coughs> fifthly, another tough one. Failing to seek their forgiveness when we have wronged them in any way, shape, or form will provoke them to wrath. We will offend our children. We will sin against our children. We all have done it. And not being willing to acknowledge that sin and to confess that sin to them and to seek their forgiveness will fail to show them an example of what we're trying to teach them and their need for forgiveness from God in Christ. Or what we expect of them when they sin against us. Some parents, and we all have this naturally, are so proud that they are defensive about everything and refuse to ever sit, as it were, at the feet of their children and say, son, daughter, when I did this to you, I sinned. Daddy was wrong. Mommy was wrong. And here's specifically why I was wrong. But mommy and daddy have gone to Christ already and I need to come to you and ask you for forgiveness. I'm indebted to you. Recently, I had sinned against my daughter, Emilia. Now, she doesn't understand much at all. But I had, I had yelled her at her. I had scolded her pretty loudly about something. Um, and don't get me wrong. What she did wasn't, wasn't exactly good. But the way that I yelled at her, it was, it was wrong. And I actually said to her. Now, I don't know that she understood any of it. But I said, Emily, I, I want to talk to you. And I said, Daddy, I, I sinned against you. I said, I was wrong. I, I, I shouldn't have yelled at you like that. And she said, she was almost defending me. She's like, well, Daddy, you, you were just angry. And I'm like, exactly. You know, and I had to say that. Now, I don't know how much she understood, but, but I, I knew it was important for me to do that before God. You see, they will see our sin clearly. Children are keen. They're not stupid. And when we sin against them, if we fail to confess it to them and to seek their forgiveness, they will see us as hypocrites who fail to practice what we preach. And brethren, when we sin against our children, not that we want to, but what better opportunity is there to teach them the gospel and about what this is all about than when we come to them for forgiveness? But our pride would often keep us from doing that. 
Some of us as parents are just never wrong. <laughs> Sixthly, <clears throat> another way to provoke your children to wrath, this is one I can appreciate in certain ways, is when you discipline them in front of others, that will serve to provoke them to wrath. Discipline should be a private matter. It should be something where you take them apart and say, look, son or daughter, or if they're too young, you pick them up and carry them out of the room in some other area, somewhere where nobody else can see and talk to them and discipline them and then bring them back in love with a hug to, the, to wherever they were at before. You don't discipline them in front of others. That will provoke them to wrath. And then finally, two last two examples that I have. Non-goal-oriented, careless, inconsistent discipline will provoke our children to wrath. If we don't have a goal in mind, if all we see is my son or my daughter is inconvenient, I'm in the middle of doing this, and they're doing this, and they're making me uncomfortable, they're making me have to go out of my way to deal with them when I have all this stuff to do, if that's the extent of our, of our teaching and discipline, we will ultimately provoke them to wrath. There needs to be an oriented goal, a goal in our rearing of our children in mind at all times that we must strive for. And I'll get to that a little more so when we get to the second part in verse 4 in the positive ways that we're to raise our children. But then finally, eighthly, and this is just kind of a, a shotgun style, a, a, a spread gun shot, uh, uh, style of, of ways in which we can provoke our children to wrath. I can't get into all these but some of them would be <coughs> failing to build a relationship with your children. It's so easy for us fathers to be very busy in so many things. We're very work-oriented. Mothers can get busy with dealing with the younger ones and begin to neglect some of the older ones because uh, that's where it requires more attention. Just failing to build a relationship with them. Failing to express loving interest in them. Failing to take an interest in them. Showing favoritism. Failing to listen to them and to hear their side of the story. Just not being able, not being willing to listen to them. And just saying, no, no, don't, don't say anything. Right? Not listening. Failing to keep promises. Boy, that's a big one, isn't it? <clears throat> yeah, I'm going to do this. We'll do this tomorrow. We'll do this. I promise. Or I don't make promises. My kids know that. I don't make promises because I know that I, it, so often something happens and then you can't do it. And my, my kids will tell you, oh, you lied. You know, I'm like... Ooh, that hurts. Failing to keep promises. Abusive words toward them. Modeling sinful anger yourself. Carelessly exposing their sins in casual conversations with others. Isn't that a wonderful thing to do? Your kids are there. Oh yeah, you should see my kid. He always gets in trouble and saying that right in front of your children. Uh, not a good thing. Failure to maintain harmony in your marriage will provoke your children to wrath when they see mom and dad um, not working together all those things brethren we can go on and on with this list but suffice it to say that we must be consciously aware of the fact that we can wrongfully provoke our children to wrath there's a reason why Paul specifically says as an address to the parents to the father do not provoke them because that is our tendency the Bible doesn't just pick random things to address say you know what I can only address one thing don't provoke your children to wrath no the Holy Spirit knows our tendency. Let us engage their hearts regularly and strive to ensure that they are not harboring any bitterness. Let's try to talk to them, try to communicate with them and see where they're at. If we find that they are harboring bitterness, let us work through it with them before it springs up and defiles many. And if we have wrongfully provoked them to this end, let us confess this to them 
and lovingly seek their forgiveness. Let us repent and let us pray with them about the matter. And so biblical parenting, brethren, involves first, from a negative standpoint, what we don't do, we are not, we are to strive not to provoke our children to anger. Secondly, then, that's the negative. There are two key ways in which we are to positively bring up our children. So we're to seek to avoid the one. And then there are two positive things that we're called to do in seeking to positively, um, proactively seek to raise them um, with goals in mind as we train them to leave the home at some point. Look at verse 4. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but... Here's the replacement. Remember the put off, put on language? But bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. And so rather than provoking our children in some aimless uh, fashion, we're to bring them up with a goal in mind. We're to be goal-oriented parents. Rather than confusing them with haphazard, random, careless discipline, we're to bring them up in the training, we're told, in the instruction, in the discipline, in the instruction or in the admonition of the Lord. The Lord's way gives us a biblical goal to strive toward. Thank God He gives us something. He doesn't just drop children in our lives and say, do what you can. He gives us general goals so that we can rear them up with an actual purpose in mind. Isn't it a blessing when you have a purpose, when you have goals? It's a horrible thing to go through life and just have no goals. I'm just going to do this and work my job and just there's no sense of direction or goal, no purpose. Well, the same thing with parenting. There needs to be purpose, goals. This will give both parents and children an understanding of all that is taking place. And the wonderful thing about this is you can pull your children aside as you find yourself drifting from the goals and becoming oriented in just a more haphazard fashion or just a, a fashion of convenience. You can say, look, we're getting off the page here. Mom and dad are getting off, getting off the main goal here, the main page, and we want to get back on track. And we want to say that we, we, we ask your forgiveness for not doing these kinds of things and our raising you. But we need to make corrections because God is holding us accountable and we want to do what's best for you. And so you could always have that talk with your children and <clears throat> bring them back in the right direction. See, where there is understanding between parents and children... There's a lack of confusion. Confusion causes bitterness. It causes anger. But when there's understanding, when our children understand where we're heading, there's a lack of confusion. And where there's a lack of confusion, there's a lack of provoking our children to anger. And so there are two key ways in which we're to bring up our children. We're to bring them up in, as we see in our text here in verse 4, we're to bring them up in the discipline and the instruction of the Lord. And so in the discipline of the Lord, that is in the shaping of their will through discipline. Unlike what we're taught in the world and the disaster that's coming upon our country, we're actually to to help shape the will of our children. We have the responsibility of helping to shape them. That's not torture or abuse. That's a good thing, especially because they have sin in their hearts. (laughs) And we're to bring them up in the instruction Or the admonition of the Lord. That is the shaping of their mind through teaching. And so there's discipline. We want to uh, to address the will of our children. But we also want to address the mind. And the teaching that we're to give them as well. In our preparing them to ultimately leave. 
We must train them in a general sense. We can say it this way. We must train them in the fear of the Lord. We must train them to understand in their actions and in their lives that there is a God who has designed us for His glory. We can't see Him. Our children can't see Him. And so we have to teach them about this God who has created all this glory and this beauty, but also about His character and what He expects of us and that we're accountable to Him. That in the beginning, God. And then everything else follows. We must seek to build character. And Christ's dependence in them. I said that last week. The greatest goal that we have as parents and our children need to recognize is that we want them to depend upon Christ more than anything else. It would be great to assume that we don't have to do this and that they will just naturally depend upon Christ and desire to please God. But that is a false Assumption because we know that a fall has taken place. <clears throat> Brother BJ has been at, was at his house the other day and he had a nice, he's developing this nice garden in his backyard, doing a great job. And I know Jeremiah and others have these beautiful gardens. And if you just leave those gardens to themselves, don't do any cultivating, don't turn the soil over, don't water, don't make sure there's enough sunlight. BJ had to take down some trees to make sure there's enough, all this hard work and task. If he doesn't do that, what do you do if you do nothing? Does it take any effort to cause weeds to grow? Just don't do anything and weeds will grow. And you will not grow anything profitable from that garden. But to actually cultivate and bring out fruit from that garden, vegetables and and good food and produce, you got to work hard. Well, it's, it's like that with children. Because a fall has taken place. Thorns and thistles now come up. And so such training is necessary because they have that problem called sin dwelling right in them from birth. In Psalm 51, David says, Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity, and in sin my mother conceived me. Children aren't born innocent. They're born with a sin nature. They're conceived in sin by two sinful parents. And so they need training. Their default mode is not to naturally seek the God who created them. It's to oppose him. It's to rebel against him. It's to hate him and to love everything that he opposes. That's their default mode and we need to train them with difficulty in the right direction. Well, this wretched reality, which is within all of us, is in our children as well. It was in us and we passed it on to them. Say, where did you get that sin from? (laughs) Mom and dad. (laughs) We gave it to them. You ever notice... Those of you who are parents, as you look at all your children, you say, yeah, I think Johnny looks a lot like me when he's doing those kinds of things. We look at all of our children, my wife, and I say, yeah, these ones are more like me and these are like my wife. I wish they were all more like my wife Um, because I see some of the habits that I had. See, we're aware of this reality, but they are not. We're aware of the bondage of their will and their enslavement to sin from birth. But they're not. Titus, my dear son, who we love, and we, we, we love to see him smile. He's starting to smile now. We all love to hold him and pass him around. But there's sin bound up in the heart of that child, and I need to teach him the ways of Christ and the gospel. He doesn't know that, but it's there. We're aware of their desperate need of grace in Christ. They're not. 
They are natural born enemies of God, even as we were. And so we must train their hearts. We must teach them about the reality of sin and its consequences. And we must seek to lead them to Christ who can bring them into the new birth by his spirit. If they're attached to Christ, then they're safe. And we do this by bringing them up in the discipline and the instruction and the the discipline and the teaching and the instruction of the Lord. Discipline or correction is a corporal form of training for our children where we seek to break their will, but not their spirit. They're born with a sinful will, a bent will, bent desires. And we are called to break that will, tenderly break it, but not their spirit. (laughs) Teaching (coughs) engages their mind with biblical truth, applying scripture to general circumstances as well as their present circumstances. We're to train their mind, to train them how to think biblically so that they would renew their minds, their naturally corrupt minds according to the word of God. And then their minds will then be in turn used to change their hearts. In our love for them, we must strive to turn unreasonable, sinful creatures into servants of the living God. What a wonderful blessing it is to have that responsibility. Some women here and, um, who are homemakers, right? Homemakers today tend to get the, 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 the looks like they don't work hard when they often work harder than the rest of us. But don't see that as a negative thing. And I'm not criticizing those who have to work. I realize in our society... We need to have, in some situations, we have to have two workers in the home to, to make it. But, but if you're a homemaker, you have an important job there in seeking to train that tender heart. We must strive to prayerfully plug our children into the line of grace to which we are currently and most joyfully attached ourselves. We want them attached. This is where those <coughs> super nanny and 911 nanny techniques fall apart. We've seen those right on TV. Super nanny, there's a, there's a disrupt, dysfunctional home. And this nanny comes in and like, like Nanny McPhee and comes into that home and, and uses all these behavioral techniques to get the children to do what she wants. But none of it has to do with attaching them to Christ. It's all plastic fruit. It's like growing a tree and it has no fruit. And rather than replanting it in a place where there's water, you just, you just staple plastic fruit to all the limbs. That's what, what super nanny and those kinds of behavioral treatments really do without changing the heart. You see, they have as an end, the world has as an end simply getting their children to jump through hoops that will make life easier for you. That's their end goal. It's not about simply getting your children to do what you want them to do, removing all of your inconveniences. That's not the goal of parenting. That's called behaviorism. And that lacks any gospel hope. You can have a very nice and easy life and be a military sergeant in your home and get your children to do all kinds of things. And they'll go right to hell, even with this plastic morality. You want to train their hearts. You want to shepherd their hearts. So that they understand from the inside. You're rerooting the tree where there's water and not just putting fruit on there, stapling it. You want to uh, help them to see and understand on the inside who God is. Who they are. Why they are doing wrong and their need for grace in Christ to correct it. So that they might learn to live for the glory of God in every sphere of life. You want them to be changed from the inside 
and that to work its way out. Replant the tree in a good place where it gets nourishment and proper water and it will produce its own fruit. You don't want children simply to live for rewards. You want them to see their emptiness because God is not in their lives. You want them to come to know and love Christ. You want lovers of God who desire to do good for the glory of God even when the material reward is not available. There's no reward in this life. But you're you're doing what pleases God. You want them to act out of love for Christ and not out of love for themselves. Biblical training is God-focused and not self-focused. Super nanny discipline may be easier, but it's by far not what will be best for your children in the long run, and it produces nothing more than Pharisees at best and rebels at worst. And it is certainly not oriented toward glorifying God, and so we must train them God's way. And this does require corporal discipline, teaching them right and wrong, Teaching them to respect authority as parents and authority in general. We want our children to be those who respect authority. Who respect their parents and authority in general. They must learn that they're not autonomous in life. And they must learn to live and respect, live under and respect authority. Their will must be lovingly broken. And so corporal discipline involves the use of the rod. It involves disciplining what we might think of as spanking. Now, I'm not referring to child abuse, but disciplining in love. With the discipline, not in anger, but lovingly, with the goal of training our children unto the fear of the Lord. We're not to discipline them as if we're surprised by their rebellion. Again, we're showing them that we know what's there, and we're doing it for their good. We want to drive it from them, anticipating and seeking to drive that sin far from them. It is a biblical principle to discipline Let me just read a couple of texts in Proverbs. You're probably familiar with these texts, but listen to these words. In our culture, and oftentimes in the church today, even people look at these texts or they ignore these texts and see these things as abusive when in fact they really are good for correction and for breaking the will. Proverbs 13.24. Proverbs 13.24. I spoke about this before. Whoever spares the rod hates his son. But he who loves him is diligent to discipline him. Diligent to discipline him. Proverbs 22 verse 6. 22 verse 6. Train up a child in the way he should go. And even when he is old, he will not depart from it. That's our responsibility. Train them up in that right direction and he will not depart from it. Verse 15. Folly is bound up in the heart of a child, but the rod of discipline drives it far from them. Proverbs 23, verse 13. Do not withhold discipline from a child. If you strike him with a rod, he will not die. If you strike him with a rod, you will save his soul from Sheol. You know, the rear end has been providentially well padded by God to be able to feel some pain without injuring a child. And you can spare them from Sheol. From hell. Chapter 29. 
verse 15. The rod and reproof give wisdom, but a child left to himself brings shame to his mother. See, see these, are, these are texts for the parents. Our responsibility. Brethren, spanking is not abuse. If it's done correctly, it is actually a means of showing love for your children. And it's one of the ways in which we train our children. In Hebrews chapter 12, what does it tell you about how God trains us? It says, he, whom he chastens and scourges. Those who God whips and chastens. We're talking about dealing with adults now. He loves. But he who is spared discipline is not a true child, right? In Hebrews chapter 12, it says that. We know that we're God's children if we receive strong discipline from the Lord. Because he is disciplining us unto our sanctification. And saving us from a lot more problems. Later on, because of our sin. <laughs> Brethren, <coughs> anticipate folly in the hearts of your children and be prepared to deal with it. Draw biblical boundaries, convey them to your children, lovingly discipline them when they go beyond those boundaries. Expose the problem in their hearts, not by surprise, but showing them that that's the reality of what the scriptures teach, that that same sin is in your heart. And point them to Jesus Christ as their only hope of salvation and change. A good book <coughs> that I might recommend, and I wish I adhered to it more faithfully myself, is Ted Tripp's book, Shepherding a Child's Heart. What a wonderful book if you want to read a good book on, on discipline and love. It's a great book. But don't just spank them. Don't just discipline them in that way. Use such opportunities to pray with them and to teach them about godly character and their need for grace. Daily spend time with them in the scriptures, teaching them the whole counsel of God. Interact with them after Sunday sermons and make sure they understand the main points. When they're old enough, have them take notes. Bring them into the means of grace as much as possible. This is far more important, brethren, than teaching them sports, than teaching them self-defense courses, as important as that, that can be, than teaching them how to play musical instruments, than teaching them dance classes. All those things can be helpful and good. But this should be our priority. And sometimes we, we, our, our children are so much put into all these other areas of training in life, and we don't seek to train them in the very basics of walking faithfully with God. How to worship God. You know, one of the things that I'm rethinking myself <laughs> at the luncheons here, when we pray together, why do we let our children go out and play and do their own thing? What an opportunity. Now, I realize that when they're, if they're not converted or whatever it might be, it could be tedious for them, their, their attention span. But they can watch a two and a half hour movie. Why not bring them for 20 minutes into the presence of God with us as we pray and let them see us pray together. Let them get that experience now so that they'll be trained as they get older to pray as well with the body. What are they going to think of prayer meetings later on if we just let them leave because they're too young? It's something I'm rethinking. What do they view? How do they view the Lord's Day? How do they view our gathering together? Do our children stand next to us as we're singing hymns? And are we mumbling, uh, singing, and they're going to stand next to us? And we expect them to worship God from their lungs, from their hearts, when we're there mumbling? 
what do we present to them in our worship? How do they see us come before God? You can give them all the theology in the world and say, this is who God is, and this is His holiness. And by the way, we act before this God. They say, this God's not really here in this room or among us. Look at my parents. We can get into thoughts even about how we dress and clothing. Again, I don't want to go far with that, but I'm just saying it, it doesn't have to be a suit and all that. But, but again, how, how are we approaching God? How would you prepare your children to meet, I hate to say the President of the United States right now, but um, in general, somebody in a high position? We're coming before God. How about their view of personal and family devotions? <clears throat> Do we have time with them in the Word? Is there time that we have to pray together as a family to be in the Word together? If our view is shallow, what will their view? How do we teach them in the fear of God if we're not doing that on a regular basis? What are we teaching them by our actions? You see, generally the regression gets worse in future generations. Where we lack and where we go off and where we neglect raising our children in those ways, where we fall short, it usually gets worse for them. They take it a little more easy and a little more casual. And they drift more and more. That's usually how generations begin to separate from the Lord. And so, brethren, look for opportunities to train them in these ways. Be prepared to take advantage of golden opportunities that will come when you least expect it. And when you are busy with various mundane life activities. One of the things that I just was saying to one of my daughters yesterday, I said, you know, when I go into like a store and there's somebody there to greet you or wherever it might be, I'm so often my thing to do is to try to make that person laugh, just to kid around with somebody. Uh, and I said, you know, I, that, not that that's a bad thing, but what if I invested my words for those individuals just to say something that would glorify God? What if that was my investment to these people? And so we left the store yesterday, and somebody was saying, how are you doing? I said, praise God, God is good. I'm, I'm saved by the grace of God. And the individual who I talked to said, yeah, well, praise God. You know, I'm like, invest in that. What does it always got to be humor for? Look for opportunities. And brethren, note that your children will often rebel and sin against you. This is important. At a most inconvenient time. Have you ever had a situation where your children are sinning in some way or rebelling and, and it's convenient? Say, oh, you know what? This is great. I could, I could deal with this issue because I'm not doing anything anyway. It's usually, it's usually at the most inconvenient time. Rather than getting annoyed and yelling at them for hindering your plans, anticipate those as opportunities to train them at those most inconvenient times. God has said to you at that moment, to you as his child, I'm giving you an opportunity here. Don't lose it because of your own self-centeredness. To be able to teach your children at this moment. Use it. See those times not as burdens. Anticipate them and see them as golden opportunities to train and teach your children in the ways of the Lord. It will go a long way in showing you care for them. And it will do much good for their souls in the long run. If you stop what you're doing and take that time and show them that you're thinking about the big picture and not simply the moment of what you were trying to accomplish. Something then. And brethren, why are we so surprised by the timing and gravity of their sins as if our sins and our offenses toward our parents were always at convenient times as well? We need to seize those moments 
as golden opportunities. Well, brethren, much more could be said about the idea of raising our children in the admonition of the Lord. But let me just close with these two things. Let me close here with these two principles. Two final things by way of conclusion. First, very quickly. Brethren, view your parenting as a harvest. Every little bit you invest in your children is an ongoing sowing of seed. And ultimately, you look to the Lord of the harvest to bring about a full crop in due time. You have to see parenting as a harvest. You can't treat your children like fast food, expecting everything to be ready in five minutes. Well, I discipline them, Lord, again, and this is the fifth time, and they're still not changed. Only God can change the heart, but you keep sowing. Keep keep harvesting that crop in your child. Be prepared to continually invest for the long haul, or you will eventually throw your hands up in in the air in defeat and saying, what's the use? You'll give up. Make use of every opportunity to bring your children in the means of grace. Center your life in Christ. Center your home in Christ so that your priorities will teach them what is most important in life. Bring them to the services of the church, to the fellowship events of the church as much as possible. You have no idea what kind of seed is being sown in the hearts of your children at those times. See, we're just always looking for quick results. We're like McDonald's. I just want a number two value meal right now, and I want to get it, and I want to eat it in the car before I get to my next destination. We just want it right away. You can't treat parenting like that. It has to be looked at as the big picture, sowing that seed. A little water, a little sowing, a little cultivating here, dealing with um, rodents and things like that. They may not appreciate it, your children. They may yawn. And show no interest, but remember you're investing in a harvest. You're planting seed with the hope that God will bring the increase, blessing your faithful laborers in Christ. Every little investment is significant. And then finally, brethren, always parent at the foot of the cross. Always raise your children with your own feet firmly planted in the grace of Christ. You will constantly need Christ's grace to enable you to persevere in your parenting. We cannot persevere. We cannot remain consistent if we're not consistently at the cross. Otherwise, you will be overwhelmed by your failures and shortcomings. We fail as parents many times, and we feel like we want to give up. Some of you may even say, I have already failed as a parent, and feel as if it's too too late to make changes. But brethren, there is grace in Christ. There's grace at the cross. He can restore the years that the locusts have eaten away. You can set your children aside and say, look, we're going to have to change things now. Daddy and mommy have fallen short. We ask your forgiveness. We've not done things as we ought to, but we need to change that right now. We're bringing you on the same page because God has given us grace at the cross. And so we're going to start moving in this direction as a family. You may even say, my children are in their teens. And I certainly can't discipline them by spanking right at that point. We can't do that. But in the few years you have left with your children, you can teach them. And while they're under your roof, you can withdraw privileges from them with the intention of gaining some of their respect for your authority. However much time God gives you with those children, whether they're 15, 18, 10, 4, whatever it is, look as it as from here to at some point they're going to leave this home. And I want to invest in whatever years I have left. Forget the past. Forget what's behind. And I want to give my best so that when they leave this home, they know, if they know nothing else, they know that Christ is a wonderful Savior.
You only have them for a short time. Let them lead your, leave your home with seeds of grace spread all over them. And pray that the Holy Spirit will cause those seeds to sprout into their eternal souls. There is grace in Christ. Parent your children always standing with the cross in view. Not as a means of shirking your responsibilities. Don't use the cross as a means of saying, well, I can take it easy. But as a means of constantly equipping you with grace needed to strive again today. With yesterday's failures and disappointments behind you. And covered by the blood of Christ. We can serve God anew. We're going to take the supper in a few moments. Right now we're going to take the supper. And that's a reminder to us as parents as well. That yes we have fallen short. Yes we need to, to regroup and take inventory in the home. As men and as women who are leading our homes. But I'm not going to give up. Because there is power in the cross of Christ. And he can change things right now. In whatever time I have left with my children. To leave some influence of grace upon their souls before they leave my home. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much again for your word. And if we're honest, when we look at these words, Father, we know that our own tendency and our pride as parents is to provoke our children to wrath, is to try to control them in a way that's unloving, in a way that's more concerned about our own convenience than their own, than their souls. Um, in a way that is not honoring to you, that's not gospel-oriented, that's not Christ-focused, and we can push them away. Forgive us, Father, for the ways in which we've done that and fallen short. But we thank you for your word to us today and pray that you give us grace to apply it. We know that ultimately at the end of the day, Father, our children are in your hands, and they need Christ. And so we pray that you would work. Work in them even now. And give us grace to pick up where we, where we are today and to invest in their lives with a sense of purpose for the glory of Christ and for their good. And may we raise up a faithful generation in the midst of such chaos where the children in our day and age are being so destroyed by what they're being taught by our culture and by the people of our day. Help our children to stand up and to be ready to be lights and to bring them back to the truth, to restore the ruins of this once great country. We pray in Christ's name. Amen.